Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We come under your truth. We come under the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We come, Lord, because our souls are thirsty to, to hear the truth. When we are just inundated and surrounded by lies, Father, your truth quenches our thirst. Your truth makes our mind sane. Your truth makes our hearts live in hope. We pray for power here this morning. That may what you have come to do, may, be, may the very purposes of which you have come to this earth, may it not fall on deaf ears, but may it give us new understanding about you, so that, Lord, as we have a deep thing of understanding of you, we begin to cherish you more and more. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I see a lot of college youthful faces, which means the college kids are back, right? Um, so so welcome back, college brothers and sisters. And so um, as an introduction, because you haven't been here for the last few weeks or so, um, we are in a sermon series, and our sermon series, series is called The Purpose of Advent. Advent, for those of you who don't know, is, is the season of Advent is we are celebrating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Advent is. And so for the last four weeks or so, um, we were studying about the purpose of Advent, why Jesus has come on this earth, right? Um, it's a pretty good series, so it's online, Apple, YouTube, YouTube, Spotify, I don't know where we are, but we're, we're available. So please check out the sermons, they're really good. And so we need to know, the reason why we're having this series is we need to know exactly why Jesus came. Right? We need to be keenly aware of the purpose in which Jesus came, why he came here. Because if we're not sure why he came here, then what's going to happen is we're going to start making up reasons in our heads of why he came. If we're not sure of why he came, then we're going to make up ideas in our heads right, of the reason why he came. And if we have ideas in our heads of, of the reason why he came, which is not the truth, then what's going to happen is we're going to be disappointed. We're going to get, when, when, when we had the wrong idea of why Jesus came, right? Eventually Jesus is going to, not, Jesus is not going to meet that purpose that we have in our heads. And when he doesn't, we're going to get offended and we're going to lose faith. That's why it's very important for us to have a proper understanding of why he came. Because if we don't know why he came, then we're not gonna, we're not, we're gonna be offended by him, and we're not gonna cherish him. And I can give you examples after examples after examples. In the Bible, for example, right? I'm doing my private worship, quiet time, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. And I read this week that John the Baptist was offended by Jesus. John the Baptist, the guy who devoted the early part of his life preparing the way for Jesus to come, he ends, up, he ends up in jail, right? And he hears in jail what Jesus is doing. And he got so offended, right? He got so offended that he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah or do we have to wait for someone else? 
John the Baptist, who knew Jesus, who's, who's the first man on earth to recognize, not, not the first man, the second man? Anyway, he's one of the earlier men who recognized Jesus for who he is. When he was in jail, he got offended. Why? Because the image that he had in his mind about what the Messiah should be is not the real Jesus. What Jesus was doing was not the idea of Jesus he had in his head. Therefore, John the Baptist got offended. The earlier followers of Jesus, right, they viewed Jesus as a problem solver. Jesus went around curing people, healing people. And they look, they look at Jesus healing people and they go, huh, Jesus can solve my problems. So they began to think Jesus as a fixer of problems. But when he went to the cross, and when he died, they go, whoa, this guy can't solve my problems. He can't even solve his own problems. So they leave. Not only will they follow Jesus, the disciples of Jesus themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these guys, when they were following Jesus, they thought Jesus was a political figure. They thought Jesus was going to right the social wrong. They thought Jesus was going to establish his physical kingdom here where righteousness and truth would be established. And when Jesus, was, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, they looked at Jesus and go, whoa, we were wrong about that guy. He didn't come here to solve a political problem. So they leave. You see what is happening? If you don't know why he came, if you don't know who he is, eventually you are going to be offended by him. Because he is not going to satisfy the image of Christ that you have in your head. It's true. I give you an example, right? I was talking to my mom this 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 week, and my and my family's going through some a really rough thing, right? It's one of the painful experiences in my family's life. And my mom said, you know, like to to solve this problem, I go to early morning prayer meeting, as Korean older ladies should. I go I I go I go visit all the famous pastors, and I have those pastors pray for our family, as Korean older ladies should. I even gave a big offering so that, you know, God could help us in this situation. So she sacrifices time, money, right, sleep, so that God can help us in this situation. Do you think God helped us in this situation? No, he didn't. In fact, the very worst thing that we can imagine happened to our family. And I was talking to my mom, and my mom says, I'm so disappointed. I prayed, I gave I even let the holy man pray. But it's not happening. It's not going the way that I think it should go. My mom's getting offended. And what did I tell mom? I told told my mom, Mom, I don't think Jesus works that way. I don't think that's who Jesus is. Right? Jesus is allowing, Jesus is saying, just because Jesus says no to our prayers or the way that in which we want it to happen, it doesn't mean that he's not in, it doesn't mean that he's not in control. His will is still happening. Just because it's a no, it doesn't mean his will is not happening. It's still happening because Jesus is sovereign. But my mom is offended because she thinks Jesus is a problem solver. And I think that's a lot of the people that we have, a lot of the image of Jesus that we have in our heads. We picture Jesus as a problem solver. I don't have a job, go to Jesus and pray. He'll get you a job. I don't have a loved one, I will pray to Jesus and he'll give me a loved one. We are ignorant of the very the very reason why Jesus came. We're so, we're in tune with what we want and need 
Yet we're ignorant of who he really is. And therefore, we project our needs and wants onto Jesus. And we think Jesus is here to solve our problems, to give what we need. And it's not true. The very purpose of he came, he didn't come primarily to solve your problems. It doesn't mean he doesn't act. It is my life's testimony that Jesus really does answer prayers. He does act. He does move. He does miraculous things. He does. But that doesn't mean he's going to let your life unfold exactly the way you want it to unfold. Because that's not what he has come to do. He has come to make you children of the living God. Not to solve your problems, not to give what you want, to make you a children, a child of the living God. And when you listen to me, you go, that's it? I mean, child of God? You know, isn't my need for a job better than me being a child of God? It isn't me, you know, getting into this school mean more than being a child of God? Isn't the social ills of the world mean more than being a child of God? No. Child of God means everything. The very reason why the world is messed up is because people are not the children of God. The reason why your life is messed up is because either you are not a children of the living God or you have forgotten that you are the children of the living God. That's the problem. Right? Your biggest need, whether you admit it or not, is to be child of the living God. And this doesn't touch you, right? Like we talked about this last week. It's because you think, people think, everyone is a child of God. We think just because we're human beings, we're the children of the living God. Just because I was born a human automatically makes me into a child of God. That is not true. As much as it is sentimentally attractive to think that way, and so it, it, it seems very nice to call you a child of God by your natural human birth. But the Bible is clear. By your natural birth, you are not a child of the living God. I'm not a child of the living God. Your children are not naturally the children of God. They are not. In fact, John teaches us, by our natural birth, we are children of the devil. Very offensive. I'm telling you again. By our natural birth, John is telling us we are the children of the devil. Why? Because we live more like the devil than, than God. And that's what, that's what we were studying in the last four weeks. What does it mean to be the child of the devil? Child of the devil, there are like four major qualifications. Number one, child of the devil is, devil is prideful. What is pride? Pride is not thinking I'm better than someone else. That's not, what, that's, that, that's not necessarily what pride is. Pride basically is, listen to me carefully, pride is basically saying, what I think, what I value, what I think is right is more important than God. God is not what is important. His truth is not what is important. My truth is what is important. How I want things to be is more important. I'm the determiner of what is right and wrong. That's pride. I make the decision of what is right and wrong. That's what the devil does. Why did the devil fail? He looked at himself in the mirror and he thought he was great. So great that he thought he was more right than God. Every human being is born with that pride. I am right, God is wrong. 
I know what is best for me. I know what is best for me more than what God knows what is best for me. I make the decision. If that thought is determining your footsteps, the Bible says you are of the devil. The devil is also lawless. God made the universe and are including our spiritual be- spiritual condition in an orderly, lawful way. Stealing something is just bad. By, by the way, stealing yesterday, I was like doing, you know, white, white elephant. And I go, we shouldn't do this anymore. I'm serious. Because even though we were joking around stealing things, it was such a foul atmosphere. Stealing, even in a joking way, causes tense. Like, it became tense and people make, become ugly. It kind of got ugly yesterday. Especially when Pastor Wujin stole my lamyan. Right? <laughs> and I orchestrated it with Kong to steal it back. It's ugly! You may laugh, but it's so ugly, isn't it? Our souls are not meant to steal. If we do, it will, it will be polluted. Why? Because God has created our spiritual, well, spiritual condition to abide by certain laws. But Satan says, forget that. Forget the law of God. Follow your heart. Follow your wishes. Follow your eyes. Follow your dreams. Follow, follow, follow. But don't follow the law of God. If the truth and the law of God is vacant from your life, you are lawless. And the Bible says you are of the devil. The devil burns with lust and violence. Lust is not only sexual lust. Lust is hunger, this unquenchable hunger. It could be, it could be food porn, they say. It could be desire for beauty. It could be desire for clothes. Whatever it is, we are burned with lust and violent lips, gossiping, criticism, sarcasm. If your life is dominated by lust and violence, you are of the devil. The devil is also preaches lies, lies about God and lies about God, basically. The devil, his work, number one work in your life is to implant in you lies about God. He either tells you God doesn't exist, or he questions, he gives you a perverse definition of a love of God, he gives you a perverse definition of the holiness of God. Whatever it is, Satan is trying to, Satan lies about God in your head. If you follow lies about God that Satan preaches rather than the Bible, then you're of the devil. By our natural birth, the Bible says, we are not children of God. We are not. We have the opposite nature of God. So the reason why Jesus came is to take these people, people like ourselves, who are naturally children of Satan, and he makes us children of the living God. That's the reason why he came. He came so that he, to to die for your sins, so that you will live. So that by, by so that by forgiving your sins, your eyes will be open to who God is. That's the greatest need of your life to make you children of the living God, and He will do everything if He loves you to make you so. 
He will give you a preacher who preaches an hour, throws the Bible at you. He will give you an incredible small group so that you can, they can pray and learn together. He will include, he will also say no to you. He will let you go through difficulty so that you will become children of the living God. That is why Jesus came. Not to give you what you want, not to solve your problems, but to make you a child. Are you a child of the living God? Do you understand why Jesus came? John says today, and John says in First John chapter 3, when you become a child of God, your life becomes, you start deviating from the life of the unbeliever. All of us start, because all of us are children of the devil, all of us, with all the, with the unbelieving world, we start, we start with the same place. But when, you, when Jesus makes you a child of God, your life begins to deviate from the rest of the world. Your life here, you start to deviate because you start to become righteous. Righteous means the moral truth of God. When you become a child of God, the way you know you become a child of God is the truth of God makes more sense to you. The truth of God is what you want to do. Once again, you begin to feel white elephant is wrong. Because that's not what the truth of God is. Just a small example, what happens to a heart that is truly a child of God? You become, you begin to, you have the same nature as God. And being the same nature as God means you start to agree, everything God said, you start to agree, and that is what you want to do. When you become a child of God, your life starts to deviate. You become more righteous. The unbelieving world becomes more sinful. The unbeliever, like I said a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't mean they don't have moments of like moral you know, awakening. Sometimes an unbeliever, like they sin and they go, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Right? Maybe they visit the church and they hear Pastor Jay preach and they go, oh, yeah, Pastor Jay is right. Yeah, okay, I should, I should live better. But then they go back home and they keep on sinning. Unbeliever is sin perhaps interrupted by moments of consciousness, but it's still sin regardless. The righteous one, child of God, it is direction of righteousness, sometimes struggling with sin. But the direction is still righteous. There's a deviation between a child of God and a child of the devil in this world. That's happening in this world. The destiny of the child of God and the children of the devil are different. What happens to us after death is different. Where we go after death is different. Where the children of God go, where the children of the devil go, they go, they go to completely different places. Right? Jesus talks about hell the most. Among all the figures of the Bible, among all the like people of the Bible, it is Jesus Christ who talks about hell the most. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, it is better to gouge out your eyes, chop off your hand, than to go to, than, than sin and go to the, go to hell. Did he not say that? Jesus says, narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Jesus talks about hell over and over and over again. Why? To tell us. 
the, 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 the place where the righteous go and where the sinner goes are different. And that's what John is focusing on in verse 2. Where the children of God will, will go. Right? After our death. Let's go to verse 2. John says in verse 2, What we will be has not yet appeared. He says, what we will be has not yet appeared. What he's saying, we here means the children of God, not the children of the devil. What what the children of God will will be has not yet appeared. What is he basically saying? He is saying, our current condition of the children of God living in this world is not the complete version of who we are. This body that we have and this life that we live here, it is not the complete product. He's saying, children of God, our completion, we will be complete one day. And what is the complete version of the children of God? The complete version of the child of God is that when Jesus Christ appears, like after our bodies will be, even even after we die, our bodies will be made, our bodies will be raised up. And our souls will be united with our bodies again. And we will have a glorified form. Just as Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a glorified body and form. That's exactly the, that is exactly the version that is waiting for us when Jesus appeared. What you see before you, what you experience, this is not the complete version of who you are. If you're a child of God, the complete full version of who you are will be revealed when Jesus Christ comes back. Christian theology 101. Listen to me carefully, kids. When we die before Jesus comes, our soul will go and be with the Lord. And that's true. But when Jesus comes back on on earth, once again, like I told you, our body, our dead bodies will be raised, and our souls will be united with our dead bodies, and we will have a glorified, we will be glorified beings, just as Jesus was a glorified being after his resurrection. Do you understand? The final completed version of the Christian is with the, with the glorified body and a glorified being, and we will see this when Jesus comes back. That is the complete version of who we will be. Until then, while we're living in this world, we are incomplete vessels. That's what John is saying. We are not yet what we, what we will be. The world is not yet what it will be. It's not. You know it's not. You know what you are is not the complete version. You know that's true. Why? Because you're always trying to change yourself. We are inherently dissatisfied with who we are. And we want to constantly change ourselves because subconsciously in our souls we know this is not the complete version. But our problem is we think we can make the complete version of who we are in this world. And we think all we need is something else to make us more complete. If we have something else, if we have a better job, if we have a thinner body, if we have a better house, if we have a better career somehow, these things will make us complete in this world. We seek completion. But the problem is, we seek completion in a temp- on temporary things in a temporary world. 
And that is why we are inherently dissatisfied. I'll give you a couple examples. Like, I was, I was like, my son, he's, he's a very serious guy. Right? He's a very serious young man, my son. I always think about his future job, career. Dad, where am I gonna go? So in, our, in my car, when I drive with my son, we talk about philosophy and his future. That's all we talk about. Right? You wanna talk about girls? No, okay. So like, you know what I mean? So like, no, he just thinks dating in high school is just stupid, right? I go, God bless you. I hope my daughter feels that way. So we talk about philosophy and theology and his career. And he's a young man and he thinks, right? He's so freaked out about what he will be in the future that he loses sleep at night. Do you think I can make it to Georgia Tech, Dad? I don't know. Do you think I'd be an engineer? I don't know. Ask Sean. But he's so freaked out. That he needs to go to the right school to get the right job. Right? So I was driving with him a couple last week and I said, look, son, don't assign too much value to what work can offer you. You think work is somehow the key to a complete life. That if you land the right job that you will be complete. Son, that's not true. Having a job is good, right? But it cannot possibly give you, cannot possibly complete you as much as you think it will complete you. And that's true. Look, this past week, I was like working, and the managing partner of the DC office, one of the leading figures of the firm, came to my office and said, Merry, happy holidays. I go, happy holidays, sir. He says, I just want to say, you're doing a fantastic job. The managing partner, one of the leaders of the of, of international law firm. I want to say you are doing a fantastic job. Your clients love you. We love you. Good job. Adios. And he goes, I need to say adios. I'm just making that up. And I go, that's nice. Right? But after he leaves, do I go, oh, I'm so happy with my job. Right? I'm, I feel complete. I don't have to do anything else. No. Right? There's still a hunger in me to hear compliments again. Right? It's true. Look, my job. I honestly love my job. It, I, I, I really do. Right? And my job is awesome. I get to work with billionaires and I get to work with, like, asylum people. Right? I, I worked on an asylum case this week, and that case, one of the cases got approved. I feel great. I work with billionaires, and I work with undocumented people. I work with different spheres of people, right? I'm everything that I want to be when I was when I was little, right? I want to be a lawyer, right? I want to have, you know, I want to preach to lovely people, which I do. I want to have a nice, like my wife, a beautiful wife, as all husband, as all boys should. I think my wife is like the prettiest woman ever, right? My children are lovely and smart. They are. I have it all, you know. I have everything that I ever dreamed of in my life. It's true. I mean, I don't have the BMW, and I don't sleep very much, but it's okay. Right? Those are two things I can live without, right? Sleep and a BMW. But do you think I feel complete all the time? Do you think I walk around saying, oh, how complete I am? I, there's nothing I want in this world. This is it. I live worry-free. No. 
there's still hunger, right? There's still fear. I have everything, and yet I'm not complete. Is it just me? No, it's all of us. We have a yearning for completion. But the problem is we seek the completion in the things of this world which can never possibly give you. Because our completion we will experience when Jesus Christ comes back. John says, John says, what did John say? Let's look at what John says. We are, you know, we will, we, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You know, just like a Bible trivia, there's only one God in the Trinity that has a physical form. You know who that is? It's Jesus Christ. God the Father doesn't have a physical form. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a physical form. Jesus Christ has a physical form. And he will realistically come back in a physical way. And we will see him. And not only when we see him, when he appears, we will see that our bodies and we will be glorified beings just as he is a glorified being. And when we see him, when we see him and we see we are like him, we will find the deepest completion. Until that day, everything will feel incomplete. That day is coming. Look, like I said, my managing partner says, good job, Jay. And I say, thank you, sir. And I feel really good when people compliment me. But I will want more compliments. Yesterday, we did a very encouraging thing. We wrote like encouraging things on our back, right? And I looked at the encouraging things that people said to me, said about me. And I go, wow, good, good. I feel really good. So I looked at it like multiple times. Because I love being complimented. That's my love language, by the way. Gifts and good words. So give me a good gift with good words and I'll be happy. I will forever fish for compliments here. You know when I will stop? When Jesus Christ appears and he will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I am proud of you. When I hear those words, I will be so complete. longing for love and the Lord appears and say I love you my child the deepest longing for love will be complete completion comes when Christ returns not before not after not after not before not only us but the whole world will change. Revelation chapter 21. The new heavens and the new earth. Read it. It's really, it's really good. When Jesus comes, he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. What will this new heaven and new earth be? It will be the world where social justice warriors and scientists and politicians and, and everyone. It's the world that they dream of. Scientists want to make a world where there is no more suffering and pain and disease. It will happen when Jesus comes back. Social justice warriors dream about a world where people will be respected and valued. That that time would come when Jesus comes back. 
like a psychologist, like dream of a world where people will not be crazy anymore. That world will come back, will, will be when Jesus comes back. The world that we dream of will happen when Christ comes back. I was telling, talking to my unbelieving friend. And she's a, she identifies herself as a liberal, social liberal, like all young people do, say. And she was like, going on and on and off about social issues. And I looked at her and I said, look, the world that you dream of, you know it's never going to come in your lifetime, right? You know that's not, it's, like, it's not going to happen. And she said, yeah. And I go, why do you dream of that world? I don't know. Perhaps you're meant for, perhaps you're meant for a different world. Perhaps you're hoping in a world when, where Jesus comes back. You may think that kind of work can happen in this world. It will not. It will only happen when Christ returns. Completion in Christ. How should we live then? Should we say, hey, well, Jesus is gonna come back. Right? Look. Our life here, let's have an objective understanding of our lives here. Our lives here are just an intermarry place. A, 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 like a rest stop, if you will. On your journey to, on your journey to a new heaven and a new earth. Right? I went to New York a couple of weeks ago. So I stopped by this, like, rest stop, I don't know, in Maryland house. It was, it, like, I'm sorry, it was, it was in Maryland. My kid wanted IHOP. So we had IHOP in somewhere in Maryland. It was great. We were there for an hour. Even though we had to go make it to New York, we were there like ordering ordering up a storm in IHOP, right? Spent fifty bucks in IHOP. That's a lot of lot of pancakes, right? But we didn't stay there, obviously, because I'm here. As great as IHOP was in Maryland, we didn't stay there. We left to our final destination. This is IHOP in Maryland, you know? It's true, isn't it? It's a bummer thing to say in Christmas. You will die. You will pass. What is waiting for you after you pass? Is it the glory of the Lord? Or is it hell? How should we live in this IHOP world? Should we say, oh, my life is gonna, I'm gonna die anyway. Doesn't matter, I'm gonna sell all my stuff and just hang out until I die. No, Paul rebukes that in 1 Thessalonians we talked about. How do we live in this IHOP world? We worship God. Worship God. Have a private worship of God. Have a public worship of God. By the way, the reason we're turning our lights on during the service and not off because we don't want the, we, the the atmosphere that we want to give is we're here together worshiping together. It is not time for me and God alone. No, this Sunday worship is we come together and we worship together. Have a public worship with God. Have a private worship with God. That's what quiet time is all about. I don't like to, I don't I don't like the word quiet time. I like the word private worship. Have a private time of worship. Just don't talk 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 to God about your needs. Open up the Bible. Tell him about who he is. Study about who he is. Tell him about who he is. Confess your sins. Have an understanding of God. Have a life of private worship. I guarantee you, if you have a life of public worship and private worship, a lot of the sin problem will go away. A lot of the depression problem will go away. It will. 
Live a life of worship. The reason why you have so much trouble in your mind is because you're not living a life of worship. He gives you His Word. He gives you His Spirit. He gives you His presence so that you can have a worship life of worship. Have a life of worship. What else do you do? Glorify God. Reveal God in all you do. Reveal God in your work. Reveal God in the in, the, in, in your relationship with your family. Reveal God in, in, in the way you care about the poor in this world. Reveal God why you live in this Ahab world. And when this world passes, you will go to glory. Why do we get so hung up on the things of this life? Why do we get so hung up when we don't have a job or we don't have the job that we want? Why do we get so hung up when we don't have relationships? It is because we're forgetting that this is an I have world. That there's a better world to come. The early church believed in this. You know how the Christianity became, do you know how Christianity like spread throughout the world? It's because of persecution. The emperors of Rome were killing Christians in a most unghastly way. Being bowled alive, being crucified, being lit up like lanterns. They were being killed. And the early church believers gladly did it. And when people looked at the Christians and how they died with joy, they said, there's something truthful about what they believe in. How do they die with such joy? Because the glory of Christ, the return of Christ, was a reality to them. It wasn't a fictitious land far, far away. It was an absolute reality to them. They knew this world was an Ahab world. And because they knew, they could embrace their suffering. Same thing with the African American people during the slavery era. I'm lifting this up from Tim Keller. Tim Keller says, if you look at a lot of the black gospels in early America, about the slaves, they have a lot of songs about heaven and hope. And the reason why they sang so much about heaven and hope, because they knew, even though their current life of slavery was unbearably harsh and difficult, their mind was set on the world to come. And when their mind was set on the world to come, they could endure the sufferings of this world. Because they knew this world will pass. Do you know this world will pass? Why do you get so hung up on the conditions of this Ahab world? It is maybe it's because you think this world is all you have. We need perspective. Godly perspective. Look, if God says, if God's lot in life, your lot in life, if God says, hey, go work at, uh, go work at Taco Bell for the rest of your life. You're not gonna be a doctor, you're gonna be a Taco Bell cashier and maker of burritos. That's what I called you to be. In this Ahab world, if God called you to be a cook at Taco Bell, so be it! Make the best burritos, tacos! Right? Wash your hands when you make food. For the glory of God, please do that. Give Pastor Jay like Taco Bell gift cards for Christmas. Witness to your Taco Bell co-workers. Work at Taco Bell in this eye world until you go with to go to Christ. 
If you're not married in life, if God's will for your life is so that, so that you will not find someone to marry, so be it. Right? Living alone for 50 years is not the worst thing in the world. Serve the church. Serve your parents. And be with God in Christ and glory. Perspective, people. Godly perspective. Godly perspective is only given to the children of God because their future is with Christ. The unbelievers, the children of the devil, their future is not with Christ. Their future is death. To get to make us heirs of the kingdom of God. Jesus has come. Look, the eternal kingdom of God, the world to come, it started 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. The kingdom of God in this world start began when Jesus came. When Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. And it will be complete when he comes back. We are living in a time where he came, and we are living in a time when he came and when he returns. What is God's purpose in the meantime? In the meantime, in the meantime, his purpose is to make people children of the new kingdom. God's number one purpose for your life is to make you a child of that kingdom. And you will do everything. If he loves you, he will do everything so that you will be the child of that kingdom. Are you the child of that kingdom? Do you know its glory, is your glorified form, is that your future? Is, are you a citizen of the world to come? Or are you a citizen of this world? People, how do you know that you're the citizen of the world? You live for the things of the world. You have to, you have to, because if you're the citizen of the world, you think this world is all you have. And you will spend everything. You will obsess about everything so that you will make, you will be happy in this world. Because this world is all you have. If you're obsessed with making it in this world and building stuff in the world, if this is what is, if this is your kingdom, guess what? You don't belong to the kingdom of God. But it's not late, you see. Jesus has come to make you a citizen of the kingdom of God. It is only citizens who can truly hope in the Lord. This Advent season, if you are a child of God, if your hope, if your true life hope is in the return of Christ, praise the Lord, you are the citizen of that kingdom. But if you're only obsessed with your well-being in this world, and that is all you're obsessed with, I urge you to repent. I urge you to recognize that you do not belong to the kingdom of God because your hope is in things of this world. If that is you, repent and ask the Lord to make you the citizens of a kingdom. Ask the Lord to make that hope of the return of Christ real to you. If you're going through a difficult time, whatever it is, ask the Lord to give you the big picture, understanding of the big picture so that you will have perspective of your current problems. Let us pray.
the question we ask this morning is that Jesus has come 2,000 years ago to begin his kingdom in this world. And, the, and, and he will one day return. And in the interim, he is working at people's lives to make them heirs of the kingdom of God. To make them part of the, to make them children of the kingdom of God so that we can be, we can inherit the kingdom of God. The question we ask this morning is, are you the child of God? Are you living a righteous life? Are you hoping in the return of Christ? Or are you like the rest of the world who is just obsessed with the things of the world because this world is all you have? Maybe you are depressed because you're not getting things of the world because you're, you only know of this world and you do not know of God and Christ. If that is you, Jesus is asking you to repent. Agree with him that you are worldly. And so before you pass away, as the world will pass away, ask God to make you the citizen of the kingdom of God. Ask God to renew you. If you are the child of God, and if you are hoping in his return, praise the Lord. Ask God to continually give you a proper perspective of eternity so that you will have a right understanding of your trials in this world. Let us pray.